Welcome to the Compliance Collective Podcast. My name is Lauren Gray from Gray Management Systems, your compliance training specialists. Our aim is to bring you updates, tips, and important information regarding all things compliance. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Um, I have the pleasure of interviewing Casey Hellman today. Uh, Casey is one busy, epic woman. She's a regulatory RTO auditor, education consultant, resource developer, small business owner, mother, and she has just launched her new RTO, Vet Lab for Schools. Today, she joins us to discuss the common mistakes that she's seen RTOs make regarding compliance, and she's going to provide some helpful strategies to get through the compliance labyrinth. Casey, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm wrapped to be speaking with you today. So um, tell us, how did you become to be an auditor? Uh, sure. Well, I think I think for me it was, it was a bit of a natural progression without me even really realising it at the time. I've always been a bit of a stickler for the rules when I was younger and uh, I'm an absolute serial learner. So um, I kind of fell into it by accident. I actually went off to university to study sport administration and I was desperate to get into sports marketing. Um, but I quickly learned that I didn't have, I guess, that natural charisma or that instant likability that you see some of these, you know, marketing communications professionals no have. I don't believe that. You've got all the <laughs> charisma. That's why I can't believe you're an auditor. No, 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 I think, well, it's a learned thing. I've had to really practice it, you see. So, I, you know, for me, I always tend to gravitate to that, uh, what I refer to as the back end of the business, where it's the planning, the documentation, mm-hmm. um, those type of, type of roles. And I used to be really absolutely filthy on myself for never being able to be that front of house person. But you know, as you as you know, as you sort of grow and you evolve, you practice those skills. So now I'm a lot more confident being, you know, front of house, if we're going to use that term. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't until I sort of uh, – I took a job up in country Victoria in sport. Okay. And um, I was helping them, I guess, with structuring their sport organisations and helping them access training and the like. So – I supplemented my horrible wage in sport and rec by teaching (laughs) um, part-time at a TAFE. And that's where I kind of, you know, my compliance journey, I'll call it, it has really taken, you know, took a turn. So I ended up teaching full-time in a TAFE. Mm -hmm. I progressed to middle management, which is obviously a lot more compliancy-based work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Pardon me, I moved to Melbourne uh, with my now husband who I met in country Victoria mm-hmm. and um, I dragged him to Melbourne with me, worked in some senior compliance roles and then I reckon about one or two years after that I ended up in one of your auditing courses oh, yeah. with uh, yeah, with ambitions to hopefully one day become a regulatory auditor. Oh, I, that's not words we often hear with ambitions to become a <laughs> regulatory auditor. <laughs> No, look, we're only joking. We're only joking because it is, it's a good job, isn't it? It's a great job. I love it. You know, you get to go in and look at a whole range of organisations that are doing things in so many different ways. And I think that's, you know, that's so fascinating. Mm, Absolutely. Oh, that's good. So you are now based with the vocational education sector. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So give us a bit of an overview of what compliance looks like there. 
Sure. So the vocation education training sector or VET, um, you know, we can be quite famous just for our acronyms, I think, because there's like a million of them, (laughs) as you would know, being an RTO, uh, which which stands for Registered Training Organisation for those who listen. Um, So just quickly, there's there's three main regulators um, in Australia. So we've got the VRQA, which is the Victorian Registrations Qualifications Authority, Mm -hmm. and they're for RTOs that are based in Victoria um, and do their training in Victoria and Western Australia or just Victoria. So Mm -hmm. it gets a little bit complicated. (laughs) Then there's the Training Accreditation Council or, or the TAC, um, who's in Western Australia and they're the regulator for Western Australian RTOs. Okay. And then for everybody else, there's the national regulator, which is the Australian Skills Quality Authority or ASQA mm-hmm. is um, what we call it. So depending on your regulator, depends on the legislation and standards that you need to comply with. However, you know, obviously there's there's close similarities between because we, obviously we want you know, standards for education outcomes, you'd want to be pretty consistent across Australia regardless of, mm. of where you go. Yeah, so, uh, you know, with with the standards, I guess that's sort of one level. Then mm-hmm. some RTOs get funding contracts as okay. well. So these funding contracts can either be federally funded mm-hmm. or they can be state funded. And with a contract, obviously, you know, uh, uh, their own set of requirements is then put on top of the RTO as well. And then I feel like, um, you know, schools, there's, there's a whole a whole other forgotten cousin, I'll call them, <laughs> that they sort of sit over to the side and, and they're sort of expected to, I guess, look at their own layer of compliance from the Department of Education and Training, but then they've also got RTO compliance that sits on top of them too. So in I'll use um, Victoria, for example. So um, there's a program called... Uh, like vet delivered to secondary schools so students in year 11 and 12 can access vet courses that contribute to their senior Mm. um, secondary certificates so their vce or their vcal and this is australia-wide so depending on what state you know that contributes to their senior schooling Mm. Um, but schools to you know to be able to deliver that they might be working with seven different rtos okay so (laughs) to get get that range of courses for their student cohort so you know as you know standards are a guide as to what organizations you know need to achieve at sort of the base level so how we interpret them how we demonstrate compliance can be entirely different but very valid and meets the requirements on both occasions Mm -hmm. okay so that means schools they could be working with seven different enrollment processes seven different like learner support programs, policies, procedures for assessment and reassessment, and that's without touching on the Department of Education requirements from the Victorian Curriculum Assessment Authority, which has another layer which is called scored assessment, which goes on top of that for, you know, their Year 12 um, outcome or their ATAR is what they call it. So you can see it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed. I'm stuck back at the moment where you said potentially seven different enrolment processes. Like one is enough yeah. for us. One's enough for us. That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, if you're an RTO delivering in multiple states and you're funded in multiple ways through various, you know, various levels of government and delivering to multiple co- cohorts, 
that require like different delivery methods. So whether that's a face-to-face fee-for-service training method in a classroom or whether you're delivering work-based tra- um, training through apprenticeships, yep. you can see that the compliance requirements are building quickly. So, you know, it's just so important to stay on top of what's happening in the industry so you know where your compliance is sitting. Mm. That's just crazy. <laughs> and look it is but i honestly think you know it's about mindset so mm. you know I, i'm a huge believer in you know how you view it is how you do it so mm-hmm. if, if you've got a positive attitude and you your attitude towards compliance is about you know compliance guides us towards quality and it's not you know an attitude of oh this is restrictive and just a tick box you know sort of mm-hmm. um thing then i think that has a huge impact on not just the quality of the work that mm. you're doing but also you know your job satisfaction mm. definitely definitely although i still don't I'm, i don't feel myself compelled to run towards a compliance job in the <laughs> In the effect sector, though, wow, that's crazy. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, scare people away from it. But that's just some of the, you know, it's the things that, mm. yeah, that that people need to consider. So, mm. um, and yeah, I think schools, for me personally, like I'm, I, you know, I love schools. I'm working in the school space, and I feel sometimes they get a bit of a raw end of the deal because they're like the forgotten cousin, as yeah. you know what I've said. They're expected to implement a system that's been designed for the vocational sector and they've got to try and merge it and make it work within their um, their own school environment. And sometimes that's really challenging. Mm, absolutely. And we'll, um, I want to definitely come back and talk to you a bit more about that. But um, as a regulatory auditor, um, what are some of the common mistakes um, or non-compliance that you often see in your work? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, let me think. So... I'll just quickly say, so I audit um, for Victorian, I'll call them private clients, Mm -hmm. Um, so people who come to me through my consulting business um, against the VRQA requirements. I also audit um, for a firm to do regulatory audits on behalf of the VRQA, so there's two two different sort of sets of audits there. But I've also got Victorian private clients against ASQA requirements and then obviously I've got clients from all over Australia who are against the ASQA requirements as well. So Mm. the examples that I'll give will be a mixture of, you Mm. know, private and regulatory. So I won't highlight anyone, obviously, for private reasons, privacy reasons, but... um, you know, and I'll leave out, you know, the obvious. So assessment is, is your number one area where, um, you know, majority of non-compliances will come yeah. from your learning and assessment requirements. And, you know, that's probably a whole nother podcast. It could took for an hour about that. Um, <laughs> but so some of the non-compliances that I see that I feel are easy fixes. So we'll go for the easy ones that um, people should be able to, to, to um, you know, get Action. right in their organisation. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, complaints and appeals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the most common reasons that I'm finding RTOs non-compliant is because they haven't made their complaints and appeals process um, accessible to students and or the public. So if they can't access the complaints form or the policy and procedure, they don't know how to make a complaint. So mm. it's all good for the RTO who says, oh, we've got no complaints, but maybe that's because the student or the public or whoever wants to make a complaint actually can't access your, you know, your um, process of how, of how that happens. Mm. Um, so in, in theory, it's an easy one 
to, mm. you know, to be able to to get right because you should, you know, you can add it to the footer of your website. I was going to say, you know, website, a, that'd yeah. be the first place to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can create a special page on your website where, you know, people can actually just fill in the form on your website or, you know, you can have something that downloads it or you can say, here's my phone number, call me and I'll give you a form, I'll email it to you. There's a range of ways that you can achieve compliance. So there's no right or wrong way. But you still have to have, I guess, those bare bones in terms of people have to be able to access it. They have to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess the other common mistake within that complaints and appeals is not providing the, the person the opportunity to access a third party or a mediator. Mm-hmm. So when we look you know, into the guts of what a complaints and appeals process really is about, it's about having that fair, consistent steps um, to, to get from, you know, complaint to resolved. Um, so think about what needs to go inside of that. And um, obviously you need to also have um, the opportunity for them to escalate it to the regulator mm-hmm. or the, the national complaints hotline. So, um, yeah, so I can honestly say in all the audits that I've done in, you know, the past six years, 99.9% of RTOs, <laughs> you know, proudly say to me, we don't have any complaints and you know but when but then I go and interview their staff or the employers of their apprentices their work experience students I interview trainers and students and I'm absolutely inundated with negative feedback you know about about their RTO or parts of their operation and some of it is just you know a little bit of a gripe and having a whinge Mm. and other others is actually quite serious in terms of there's been a systematic failure somewhere along the line so, you know, my advice is that you really need to, you know, review your complaints and appeals process because if the feedback is out there, so you need to be able to have or make sure that you're actually capturing it somehow. Yeah. Um, and don't be afraid of negative feedback. It's actually one of the best sources oh, of information for your continuous improvement. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And it's not it's not necessarily the the feedback that um the auditors are focusing on it's it's what you're doing with it so it's like okay you received a negative feedback about your learning and assessment materials so tell me how you dealt with that Mm. and then so you know the the rto should be able to say well you know we investigated it we found that it you know it's either wasn't warranted or that yeah maybe the training assessment materials wasn't wasn't up to scratch so now we've been able to action it by abcd so, you know, there's some really positive things that can come out of complaints and appeals. I like that. That's so important for people to hear, isn't it? Because quite often we can be, you know, quite closed down or afraid of, well, we've got something negative and then, you know, it's going to impact, um, yeah, with our, with our audit and it's just not. That's a, that's a really great point to reinforce. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think it comes down to that, I guess, there is a real sort of negative connotation associated with audits, but yep. again, how you view it is how you do it. I you like know, you that. How you to... view it is how you do it. That's a great takeaway. Oh, that's that's certainly what I'm taking away from this interview. How you do it is how you do it. Yeah, how you do it. yeah, yeah. So I guess the other area of non-compliance that I commonly see is um, all RTOs are required, regardless of regulator. There's a um, there's a standard in there that talks about being compliant with legislation relevant to your own RTO. So you think about, <clears throat> pardon me, as a business in Australia, you have to you know abide by 
Fair Work Australia, um, OH&S, privacy, those are the, you know, the the common sort of commonwealth ones. Um, but also like the, the actual vet framework. So there's a whole range of legislation that sits within the vet framework that you need to, um, you know, to comply with. And so some of the obvious ones um, like the NVR Act or the Education Training Reform Act, Student Identify, I won't go through them all, but that they're, they're the type of uh, things that are not um, identified by an RTO, which is super important because particularly the Student Identifiers Act, that has a whole range of um, you're collecting a lot of information about that student and you're providing it back to the government. So you have to advise them that you're doing that. And that's all part of the Student Identifiers Act and there's special privacy forms and stuff like that. So it's quite common for RTOs to either admit relevant legislation or not identify the correct legislation. So yeah. I've had, um, you know, it's quite common for RTOs to purchase policies and procedures from, um, you know, from consultants out in the field. And there's, there's great products out there, yes. but they won't, contextualize it back to their own organization so i've had victorian rtos quoting new south wales ohs legislation mm -hmm. and while i'm not i'm not work safe so i'm not going in and making sure they're doing all the ohs requirements mm -hmm. but i am going in to make sure that they're actually aware of their relevant um you know legislation so throwing it all into a spreadsheet won't get you a tick in an audit yeah um you know it's really about that process of it's really got to I tell guess, their story Really? Correct. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's it's identifying requirements, um, but it's communicating the relevant parts to your staff. Mm. So what are their responsibilities? And communicating the relevant parts to your students. So what are their rights? Um, you know, so once you sort of tease out all of that information, all those other documents should flow quite easily, like mm. the student handbook or, or however you want to tell your students. You know, it's not... Mm legislated that you have to have a student handbook but that is one way that hmm. you know people could achieve compliance in that area that's great well thanks for that and um yeah just before we go i wanted to talk to you about your latest project now you have recently become an rto or launched an rto yourself what was the driving force behind you creating vet lab for schools um, well, I mean, I genuinely love what I do and I wanted to create an RTO that provides like the high level of support to schools because we, we circle back to the, I feel like schools are the forgotten cousin. Mm. I just, I feel like if I can partner with a school who's passionate about the delivery of quality experience to students and I can be like their little personal assistant that completes all the compliance and all, you know, the back end, if we go back to that analogy as well. I feel like we're going to be the dream team. You know, they're out in the front and they're engaging students and they're, you know, high-level, you know, participation, learning activities and assessment, and then I'm sort of in the background doing all their paperwork for them so that, you know, they can focus on that that high level of engagement. So for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, I've been auditing schools for a while now and I kind of got a bit cranky with some of the providers out there not supporting schools and and sort of just they'd rock up and they'd dump all these unit-by-unit unit workbooks on the table and say, you know, in February, enrol their students and say, see you in November and tell me how they went. Mm. And I just think that that's, that doesn't contribute to quality education and it stresses, you know, a number of people out. So <laughs> I, I want to be the solution. That's great. Like, well, yeah. certainly you certainly come across with your passion and I know we've had other discussions before in the past and, 
yeah, I um, it's infectious actually, and I think it's great work that you're doing at the minute. So I, yeah, I commend you on that. That's fantastic. Thank you. That's very kind, Lauren. Oh, that's all right. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. But um, just as before we do, is there any sort of parting message to anyone out there and maybe who is, you know, responsible for the compliance for their for their business out there? Yeah, sure. Look, um, I mean, obviously, keep on top of industry requirements. So subscribe to relevant um, organisations like training.gov.au for -hmm. your training package information. Seek assistance if you need to, but do your due diligence. So if you're asking a consultant, um, ask for references, ask for qualifications to see if they're, you know, qualified auditor. Um, And I know uh, you you haven't asked me to to say this or we haven't spoken about this, but I am going to say to do a grain management systems audit (laughs) course because for me, for me, that's why I'm here. So... I um, you know, definitely do the, the lead auditor course and then perhaps chip away at the diploma if you're interested. But honestly, the, I mean, the content's fantastic, but the networking was really um, got me where I am today. So I met someone in your course um, who then gave me the introduction and that's why I'm a regulatory auditor. So that's oh, how God, I um, that. got to oh. those steps. I know, yeah, Jeff will be very happy to hear that. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still sign off my emails to Jeff, um, your favourite student, Casey. (laughs) (laughs) I just like to razz him up every now and again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he likes that. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, thanks very much, Casey. I really appreciate it. And I just want to wish you all the best um, with all the wonderful projects that you've got bubbling along at the minute. But um, this latest one is fantastic. So well done. Congratulations. And, and thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks for listening in today. I hope that you've found this episode helpful and informative. Please take a moment to hit subscribe. And if you know someone in the compliance field or someone who may just be interested in today's episode, please feel free to share. Be well, stay safe and happy auditing everyone.